0: Thanks for listening to the Distribution Podcast. If you like this content, you may also enjoy the webinar I hosted featuring previous podcast guests, Heather Furstrom-Border and Jennifer Stevens, co-founders and managing partners at Alliance Global Advisors. You can now access highlights from the conversation on junipersquare.com forward slash GP resilience, all one word. You will learn about the best practices GPs can use to differentiate themselves from the competition and continue to build meaningful relationships with current and prospective investors. I'm Brandon Sedloff, Managing Director at Juniper Square, and you're listening to The Distribution by Juniper Square. Join us as we sit down with experts from commercial real estate, venture capital, and private equity to discuss trends in technology, fundraising, and private markets. We'll cover this and much more. On today's episode of The Distribution, I sit down with Roman Pedon, CEO of Casa Living, a tech powered flexible accommodations brand and operator founded in 2016. Casa Living partners with real estate owners to transform units at multifamily, single family and hospitality properties into professionally managed accommodations. During our conversation, we discussed the Opco Propco business model, why Roman decided to start Casa Living, trends in the hospitality sector, including how regulatory changes may impact performance going forward, and what Roman and Casa Living see coming down the pike over the next 12 to 18 months. I have had the privilege of knowing Roman since 2016 when he did an MBA internship with us at Juniper Square and have learned a lot from him and the Casa Living journey so far, and I know you will too. Let's get into it. Roman, welcome to the
1: show. Thank you for having me, Brandon.
0: Well, this is a fun one for me. We go way back, but before we start talking about our relationship, maybe you can introduce yourself and tell our audience
1: a little bit about Casa Living. Absolutely. So my name is Roman Padan. I'm the founder and CEO of Casa Living. Think of Casa as a global accommodations brand for the modern traveler. So a whole hotel brand that bridges the gap between Airbnb and Marriott. Uh, Brandon, I'm guessing you've had experience staying at Airbnbs. You've probably had some pretty good ones. I have, yep. And maybe... Maybe some some that haven't been as reliable, and it's because on the other end there's an individual, a host whose first you know primary job is not being a hotelier, and they might be at a meeting when you have a Wi-Fi issue, and for a lot of trip types that's just not acceptable. You need the trip to be cohesive and and reliably deliver on the core promises of a quiet, restful night's sleep. Casa delivers that uniqueness and digitally driven stay of Airbnb, but we are the actual host and a brand that you can trust. And so we control the customer service, the Wi-Fi, the comfort of the mattress, the light in the room, and aim to deliver a reliable experience for the guest. That's the guest side. The real magic happens on the on the ownership side, where we have built a hospitality operating system that fundamentally improves the business model of operating hospitality properties. Think of it as you have like a genie that you can make a hotel property more profitable, primarily by lowering the cost structure. So removing staffing, centralizing systems, automating automating things, and also improving the revenue uh, model of the properties. And that makes properties anywhere between 30 and over 100% more profitable at the gross operating profit level. So quite substantial we currently operate about 75 properties around the country. We operate apartment buildings where we're full floors, hotel properties where we're the entire building. And we have a budding partnership with a large private equity firm in single family homes. One thing I'm very proud of is we operate the top property in a few cities as ranked on TripAdvisor. So we're the number one property in Chicago, in Seattle, in Denver, top five property in San Francisco and Austin. It's, it's like uh, it's the feeling of pride you have for your one of your children having a good grade on the report card. And it, we, our team takes immense pride in delivering an experience that guests really resonate with. Awesome. I love
0: that. Well, I'm excited to dig in with you and learn more about cost of living and kind of what the outlook is for the space. And before we do that, you know, let's talk about your journey as an entrepreneur, you know, maybe give us the background before you started cost of living, kind of what, you know, what made you or kind of what brought you to this point in your career?
1: You know, I, I, I feel immensely lucky to even have the opportunity to build the business. And that feeling is amplified by the current context we live in. So I was born originally in Ukraine. My family came over to the U.S. when I was two. They took a pretty meaningful risk to come to a country where they didn't know the language and didn't have a community. And my family is also Jewish. We were Jewish refugees from Ukraine. And in another world, on both fronts, I'd probably be fighting in a war instead of building something that I feel immensely passionate about and is at the intersection of my interests. So I, at the core of my experience, is this feeling of responsibility to, to do right by the risk of my, my family, my parents and uh, generations before and to do so in a in a place that provides an am- opportunity to build something of substance through hard work. Specifically to CASA, I uh, have always loved the the elements that intersect CASA. So I grew up having a fascination with real estate, more kind of like, you know, for lack of a better word, like real estate porn growing up, like going to see every open house that was on the block and just being excited that the, fa- the space that we live in or, 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 or see and feel can really impact the way things work in a community and a city. But I also love technology for a, almost a similar reason. You write a line of code and it impacts the world in a really dramatic way for for a long time. I studied computer science in undergrad. I also studied real estate and always thought these two worlds were, 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 were like oil and water or two lanes of a highway that were never going to uh, come together. And I uh, have, have been excited to see the the increasing connection between technology and real estate and hospitality in a profound way. I started my career in real estate and worked at Walton Street Capital and KKR, really primarily on the investing side, focused on apartment and hotel investing. Uh, though uh, we we spent time on, on, on a cross asset class and at KKR, I was really fortunate to work alongside the team that was kind of the early team to build their their platform and always was looking for a way to combine real estate with technology though was was not really finding that opportunity within the real estate investing ecosystem and so that led me to Stanford business school with the hope that I could use that as a laboratory to to find a combination that resonated and I I took the most analytical and nerdy approach one could imagine to trying to figure out what was the right problem to solve. I think I made a list of like 200 companies all in real estate tech trying to figure out which one was an interesting application of what I was good at and was a product that I thought the world needed. And that one of those 200 was Juniper Square. And I remember having an early conversation with Alex, realizing it was a product that the world needed and was lucky enough to be an intern when you all were, were first, first starting. I remember meeting you. That summer, I think it was twenty 2015
0: yeah, no, I remember that it was a, it was a good it was a good time. I think it was probably 2016. and there was probably yeah, five yeah, yeah, of us right. at the company at that time and you know some of the work that that you did with us uh, stuck around for for many, many years long after your internship ended. so we appreciate that you, you mentioned computer science and real estate. that's not something that I hear very often, and you kind of highlighted. The real estate experience was around the form and, and, you know, doing open houses, but did you have a sense or a, like a hypothesis of like how these two worlds could come together? Like what is, you know, for someone who's listening to this, who's like, how does a computer scientist think about real estate? Like what, what would you tell them? Like, how did you think about it? You know, prior to really like digging into the industry and actually understanding what was happening?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the core, I think these two industries are allergic to each other and and actually quite similar. In a, a like, Kind of going back to what I said earlier, real estate is intended to affect the way we live, work, office, and do so in a durable, profound way. You build a building, it affects everything around it. and And similarly, you write a line of code and it's very durable. It changes the way people interact with each other, with technology and with systems around technology and each other. And so my my hypothesis was rooted in finding ways that technology can at the core remove cost from operating real estate or delivering on a on an experience. And so the the either remove costs or fundamentally improve the income that an owner could could generate. That was that that's my hypothesis. The reason there's an allergy between these two worlds is technology can move very quickly. You can write a line of code in an afternoon and see it live and it takes years, a year plus to build a building. And so one of the inputs into proving that you actually can generate value for real estate owners is time. And one of the things in technology that always felt like technology was a shortcut on was time. And so the approach to technology, maybe 10, 20 years ago, and even in the last decade with certain ideas was one where you thought you could shortcut the approach to entering the real estate market with a product that was good for the real estate but perhaps wasn't willing to give the wasn't willing to be patient enough to demonstrate its value through cycle through sales through different financing environments etc and so at the core of what I was interested in was how do you lower the costs of operating assets and deliver a better customer experience at the same time, but do so in a way that was patient and mindful of the timescale of real estate.
0: Yeah, I like that. And in many ways, it's it's come full circle. in this time scale of real estate and the importance of patience plays out, you know, especially as we're talking about the current market dynamics where, you know, people are realizing, you know, some of the challenges of illiquidity, but also some of the benefits
1: of illiquidity and and kind of the way that real estate's been structured. Yeah. A hundred percent, and I think, in a moment like this, where there's more a bit more pain in the real estate market, right you have rising fixed costs, whether that's insurance or taxes or debt service or or labor costs, which in many asset classes has become more of an intractable problem with current systems and processes. technology can be not necessarily the panacea but a meaningful painkiller to lower costs while there's Otherwise, inflationary pressures that are kind of like fixed in the PL. So, uh, 100%.
0: So, before you got to start Cost of Living, we talked about your internship at Juniper Square. What did you do? Like, was it at Stanford Business School that you decided to become an entrepreneur? Like, what point did you know that starting your own business was the right thing to do? And then, how did you, you know, it's a multi part question, but then, how did you figure out that, you know, starting? Casa was the right business problem to focus on.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. My my framework, and I borrowed, I think, a common framework, perhaps, for what one should do if they're so lucky is finding something that you know you really love, finding something that you're not just good at but uniquely suited for, and then something that creates value. And so I was searching for that. I was searching, and the hypothesis I had was very few people had the technology background and the real estate background, my deep background in in both. And so I should really focus my attention on that part of the world, especially considering I really loved it. But then that was that that got me to that 200 line spreadsheet, which in that spreadsheet, like there were a lot of ideas that either didn't resonate or I did not think would be really good ones. I was really excited about Juniper Square because it stood out. And you're not paying me to say this, but it was a problem that I knew many fund managers had. And it was a solution that was without a great... uh, It was a problem without a great solution. At the same time, I love the team. I love the uh, working in and I had immense confidence that it was going to be a big business. And it's been really gratifying from the sidelines to watch y'all grow. It wasn't the thing that I was like most passionate about and the problem that I felt as if I was most uniquely suited to solve. And so the decision to start Casa kind of came from a lot of moments of reflection of like what have i turned to most frequently and i recalled when i first learned about airbnb that i thought it was an idea that was necessary for a growing a consumer that was increasingly flexible i i was increasingly seeking flexibility in my life i was increasingly seeking something different in the type of accommodations i was looking for i actually applied to airbnb when i heard about it in 2010 i sent a snail letter to Brian Chesky, which I'm like a little embarrassed to, to reread now and realize that I sent a letter to someone who probably didn't receive it. But I always got was captivated by the fact that Airbnb was building something that was direly desired by consumers. It was almost like a cry for help, and that we were investing at KKR and at Walton Street in what existed. We couldn't reinvent a asset class. And so we were investing in hotels that I did not think were the kinds of hotels that were going to durably be the kinds that the consumer of today really wanted. They were built on very analog rails. They were built on a labor structure that was not conducive to the just structural increases in the cost of operating those properties. And increasingly, we were buying apartment buildings at the same time that were amenitized and programmed like hotels with nice gyms and cabanas by the pool, and yet they were preventing a hospitality activation to them. Airbnb was banned, understandably, in those properties because the lack of a professional manager meant that you were sometimes letting in folks into the building that weren't vetted, that might throw a party and impact the community and so it was looked at the model of Airbnb and the idea of activating multifamily space as more hospit in a more hospitality forward way to fit with how those properties were being built was viewed in a uh, very much like a, as an alert, was kind of an allergic reaction in the apartment community when it was actually an oppor- when it was actually an opportunity. And so that was kind of the core of the realization that led me to start Casa. It was something I always was really excited about that fit my unique kind of thing that I brought into the world that I was uniquely capable about. And that looking at the world from an owner's perspective, there were trends that owners wanted to figure out how to capitalize on, whether it was the uh, digitization of the consumer, the increased flexibility in how people live and work, or the increased cost structure of properties that a solution was necessary, but a solution didn't exist and so I started Casa to offer that solution to owners and profoundly to 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 travelers.
0: It sounds like you know you had a lot of informed experience you had your your time investing in hotels and then multifamily you understood real estate, you obviously had a background in in technology was there an aha moment that like, this is the thing to do? Or how did you kind of put pen to paper and actually say, I, I want to do this? And, and did you do it alone? Do you have partners? Maybe what's the kind of founding story? You've kind of led us up to what's informed the founding story, but what is that founding story of Casa of Living?
1: So the founding story was while I was at Juniper Square, I was thinking about this in a lot of depth. We had actually... My My mom passed away in two thousand and fifteen, uh, and one of the things i my family did, my dad and my brother did to bring us together and We always were kind of interested in real estate as immigrants growing up in the u s was buy a really small apartment building near our house. It was a three unit apartment building and run it as as what today would be a casa, but at the time, you know for lack of the uh, brand was an airbnb style property, and we were generating. On that property, some you know, a hundred percent cash on cash yield every year, and like a uh, you know a, a, a yield on cost that was in excess of twenty five percent, and so it was just like metrics that you know are are impossible to find in any asset class that I've seen in, in in real estate. But we were having a lot of difficulty actually operating the property. It was very much run like a mom and pop. Property and so there was in the back of my head. There the tooling didn't exist, the brand didn't exist, and yet the real estate opportunity, fundamentally fueled by the fact that consumers wanted this product, was was very obvious. And so early in while I was while I was at Juniper Square, I, I thought, why don't we see if we can build this in a way that is both that solves for that need, that solves for the need for a brand, that solves for the need for the tooling, etc. And so we. Our initial hope was to find apartment developers who were in lease up and ask to take a few units in their community and run them as furnished flexible rentals. Given the fact that I'd lived in the real estate world for a long time and had built strong relationships within that community, I thought it would be a breeze to get owners to agree to have us operate a small hotel in their apartment building. And what instead happened was on my birthday in in 2016, in August 2016, I was dialing for dollars asking owners if they'd be willing to, to give us a couple of units in their mostly vacant apartment building and just getting no after no. We went door to door. We got warm intros. We finally got one partner in the Bay Area called Prometheus, who uh, the president of that Company Jackie, she she took a risk on us and gave us four units in the property. We furnished them by sleeping on the floor of the uh, you know apartments and like just getting it done. Like we didn't have a playbook yet. And what was th- what what was obvious right away was there was tremendous demand for the product. We were the we were financing the business initially off a credit card. From J.P. Morgan Chase to buy the furniture, so we were like sleeping a little uneasy. But the the first moment that we put the units live, and at first our demand was coming through Airbnb. We have since really professionalized and and uh, diversified the way we generate demand. But we were booked like two five minutes after we put the properties on 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 Airbnb, and so there was an obvious need from the consumer side. And we realized over time, though, it was hard to get those units initially, that there was a need from the owner side. The lease up was risky and anxiety ridden for an apartment building. And there was an opportunity to generate a lot more cash for the owner by operating some of the units as flexible furnished rentals to satisfy the growing demand. But that was the aha moment was the speed at which we were able to, to operate the to generate demand and the need for an operator like this with the experience working with my dad in in Massachusetts.
0: What do you think, I mean, so this is what, 2016, 2017? Is that right? That's right, yeah. And, And so you had Airbnb as your platform at the time for distribution, but I presume there were hundreds, if not thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of other options in San Francisco, right? And so what do you think, like what stood out or what was it that was unique about, the offering back then that allowed you to fill the unit so quickly. Do you have a you know? Do you kind of have a hypothesis with the benefit of of hindsight?
1: Yeah, I think the the, the inventory uh, and and this is kind of the root of what's amazing about Airbnb, but also why Casa really complements it. It's that the typical Airbnb host is a individual, and that individual. Is not a professional hotelier. And as a result, they are uh, not 24 7. They're not ensuring that, you know, the sheet, you know, you're their clean, white sheets, comfortable bed that some of them do. And that's kind of the ethos of Airbnb. It's your best and your worst experience. And what we were able to convey to the consumer is that you will have your reliable experience with with CASA. We're 24 7. We have you know, strong Wi-Fi that we are held accountable for if, you know, the experience isn't great as a brand. We think about every single detail of your stay and of your journey and work to ensure that we deliver a experience that's befitting of our ambitions and our we have a company value, which is to be a hall of fame host. And it's really not to be just the typical host on Airbnb, but to be the host that cares about your stay most. And delivers not just the lowest level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the things that you expect out of a brand and don't always get out of an individual, but the, the things above that that show care and build connection. And so we were able to, through our photography, through our descriptions, through the fact that we showed up as a brand rather than an individual, attract a guest that was seeking that experience, in which it was lacking then and is still lacking. There are still not enough properties that. A look and feel like an Airbnb, but are professionally managed and that are branded with a certain experience that, experience that consumers grow to love. Awesome. I love it. So fast forward to
0: today, give us kind of the quick snapshot by the numbers, size, scale, employees, properties, however you classify kind of the, the metrics that drive the business and the people that, that make it possible
1: yeah, so I think we've had over a million reservation nights. We've over seventy five properties across forty cities. We have about two hundred and forty five team members at the at the company who are passionate about delivering a great stay and also are working on the infrastructure that ensures that the experience gets ever better for the guests and the profitability grows for the owner over over time. We're partnered with some of the largest. We've really focused on building trust with some of the largest owners of apartments and hotels in the in, in the country. So we have scaled partnerships with Starwood Capital, with TPG, with KKR, with growing partnerships with Graystar and 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 many others like them. So that's kind of the and and one last, you know, we there have been companies that have grown with similar models in which improve the profitability of various asset classes through leasing those those spaces. Obviously, WeWork is the most well known. Our model is much closer to Industrious's model in the co working space. So we manage properties for a fee. That's also the model that Marriott, Hilton, and you know a hundred other hotel brands and operators like them have focused on. Which is more durable both for us as the manager and brand and for owners as our partners it's not the quick, you know quick get rich quick grow at all cost approach to building the business nor is it the not durable but perhaps the highest cash flow in the moment of a lease that's above market for the owner but it is the highest and best use for the owner long term and more durable and for us it it, it ensures that we are a trusted partner for decades to come. So
0: it sounds like today the primary way to book a unit on CASA is through
1: your website. Is that right? So we much like Marriott and Hilton and others list across channels. So you can find the Marriott and Expedia and Booking.com. We make sure that we are in as many stores as possible. So we want and our client is the owner. So we want to make sure that we're maximizing the profitability of their properties. And we do that by really being agnostic around the the channel that the guest comes in through. So we are on Expedia, on Booking.com, on Airbnb. We're also within the global distribution system, which is how you get into the travel management companies. That's really the tooling that ensures that when you book through Concur and Amex global business travel for your business trips, you can find casa uh, and and stay with us. and so we're across all channels. casa.com is the largest but not the majority of our demand. So it's about 40% of our demand and that's been really exciting to see because we're uh, that most many of those guests are starting their journeys with an ex, you know finding us on Expedia and then their second, third, fourth stay is through casa.com.
0: And so the, you mentioned management contract. I'm familiar with kind of the hospitality world, just for our listeners, what, you know, especially for our listeners who are asset owners who maybe own hospitality or multifamily units, which I know many of you all listening do walk us through, do they find the real estate and then do they find you as the operating platform to sit on top of it? Do you find the real estate and try to find, you know, somebody to buy that piece of real estate, like what does that right framework look like to optimize for success for both you as Casa and the the ultimate asset owner slash landlord?
1: I would say I did improv uh, for a brief period, though I was not very talented. And I'd say yes and to that. So the our pri- primarily, and I think this has been an important element of the trust we've built with the real estate community. And our partners, we've grown through the same partner expansion. So we've partnered with some very large owners, and those owners bring us new deals that they are working on. And we help to help them to understand whether that whether we can make them more profit with a casa operation in the in the property. So for example, if an owner is looking at a apartment to purchase an apartment that is mid-development and is trying to figure out how to make the math work in today's interest rate environment and a new supply picture that in many markets especially in the sunbelt have has has been at historic levels as a percentage of existing inventory and in total inventory more apartments are being built today than at any point in the past 40 years and so the they are finding it challenging to figure out how to deploy capital into those deals we can often generate a very meaningful amount of yield expansion on those deals because we're able to generate cash flow earlier in those properties. You know, you're leasing up over 18 to 24 months in the traditional business plan. With CASA, we will uh, furnish and operate multiple floors in the property and start generating cash flow at day zero. And then once the property is stabilized, we increase the yield that the property generates because the short-stay furnished units generate on a net basis. So after expenses, more profit than the 12-month unfurnished units do. And to put numbers to it, we were looking at a fairly typical deal in Austin recently that a partner brought to us where the going-in yield without costs was a five and a half, although at the purchase price it ended up getting sold was a little bit tighter than that we were looking at it as a 50-50 Casa and unfurnished rental deal. And we got to over a 9% yield on cost and an even a far greater cash on cash yield in terms of the, uh, the accretion. And that was at 50%. If we were 100% Casa, you generate a yield be- beyond what I'm, I'm saying. And so to answer your question, our existing partners will bring deals to us and new partners will bring an apartment deal or a hotel. And ask us to underwrite it we'll underwrite it and give a 50 50 view on how well we can do in that property and then the that partner can decide whether it fits their investment mandate we also do periodically look at deals that we hear in the market we're currently looking at an off-market deal in new york we're very excited about where the knowledge of our platform means the existing owner thinks we might be uniquely suited to help catalyze an acquisition we have limited resources and So we can only process so many of those kinds of deals. So the more typical model is when partners, whether they're existing or new ones, bring the deals to us.
0: When you see a deal, do you typically... You mentioned you you can begin to have revenue at day zero. Do people typically bring you in as a kind of short to medium term stopgap solution, and then it extends into something more permanent? Or is the view, do, you, do your management contracts stipulate that you need to be involved for a minimum period of time in order to to stabilize and reap the benefits of of the work and the value that you're adding? Or what does that relationship between you and the, the asset owner look like most typically?
1: Our mindset at the company is that we are in the business every day from our partners by generating more income than they could generate without us. And so that's what that's the one metric that matters at Casa. How much operating profit are we generating for our owners? I would near guarantee if you ask all to any 245 people, they'd say that's what we're optimizing for. That being said, you you need some term to be able to prove that out. And so uh, depending on the asset class, we have kind of different standards for hotels versus apartments we will ask for some term in order to be able to demonstrate the value proposition, and then we'll give owners a performance out. So if we're not generating the value that we promised or that will lead them to be confident we're better than their next best alternative, then we'll allow the owner to, to terminate. And typically our contracts are shorter in multifamily and longer in on the hotel side, which is a function of the lender requirements and different requirements that our partners have in those apartments versus hotels. Interesting.
0: Hotels are interesting. So I, I understand intuitively apartments and, and you know I don't know why that's more intuitive to me, but why Casa in a hotel when in theory the hotel effectively is operating short-term furnished rentals just on a nightly basis to guess? Am I missing something or how do you how do you think about it cuz right on your website it says tech enabled institutional hotel management for more than 150 key hotels less than 150 key hotels i guess
1: yeah yeah so i think it actually i'm glad i'm really glad you asked that question hotels are kind of the purest form of like really deeply understanding our value proposition and our Primarily, our value proposition—maybe two-thirds of it—is lowering the cost structure of how these hotels operate. So, typical, and and then we we apply that same really strong cost structure and our strong revenue muscles to how we operate in in apartments. But the before in apartments was a twelve-month unfurnished rental, and the before in hotels was the hotel operating already as a hotel. So it just very purely shows the improvement in operating. Hospitality that we generate, and the the improvement comes from us going basically line by line in a hotel P and L, and either eliminating, automating, or centralizing functions. And so, an example is housekeeping, which was purely an operational change uh, for us. We we clean once a stay versus once a night, as required by many of the brands. The reality is the consumer is not willing to pay the incremental cost that the added cleanings will bring. There certainly is a category of consumer who wants that kind of pampering. We aren't the brand for them, but the majority of travelers today don't clean their homes every night and don't need their apartments or hotel rooms on the road uh, to be cleaned every night and would rather just have a better price and the owner would rather have a better cost structure. We also centralize and automate other functions. So finance and accounting, Usually has sat at the hotel property in in, in most cases, and there really, really isn't a need to have an overnight auditor and a controller at a hotel property. You can automate a lot of that. You can centralize it, and so we've done that. And that's an example one line item that you know is a, a portion of the PNL, and we've thought how to improve it. There's no front desk at any Casa property, and so we every guest checks in on their mobile device. They get a key code to enter the exterior of the building and a key code for their unit. And they text us or call us if they need something. It allows us actually to deliver kind of a a more personalized experience over time, which may be surprising, but it's reflective in the reviews that I shared earlier and the TripAdvisor scores that I shared earlier. And it lowers the cost of operating a property. And to put real numbers to it, so we, for the trailing, trailing numbers on a hotel that we operate in, I'm sitting in New York City in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, which I use as an example, because New York is maybe the, the hardest gym in the world to train in. It's like, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere kind of thing. And we, we, the the owner previously was generating at the GOP level max year, like a 40, 41% GOP margin. We are operating the property at a 70% trailing GOP margin. So a significant improvement in margin and our revenue performance is also uh, stronger before and after for a variety of distribution-related reasons and revenue management-related reasons. But to answer your question, that's kind of the purest measure of our value proposition. Did before did we take a hotel and make it more profitable, make the review scores higher versus how it was operating before? And we have case studies across the country that demonstrate that. And that's really the foundation and the fundamental value proposition of the business. What year did you start Casa officially? Officially we started August 2016 and we raised capital in December 2018 for outside capital. But we've been, you know, already running the business and hosting guests for, for a while before then.
0: Got it. So now we're recording this at the end of 2023. Were
1: kind of out of just
0: out of the pandemic. What have you kind of observed in trends in travel and leisure and hospitality, kind of since the founding of the business in 2016 till now? And what are you kind of looking at on a go-forward basis in terms of how are we either going to see those trends continue to accelerate or perhaps shift to a different a different type of pattern
1: or trend? Yeah. So obviously, the last you know, I, no no performa I had predicted a global pandemic. And that was a really trying time for us as a, as a business. I often call it the darkest hour of revenue. It's easy to talk about today, but like in a moment when revenue drops by 70% and people think travel will never come back, it is immensely scary. And I remember our team just like going, really locking arms and working day and night across the different elements of the business. To ensure that we got through that time, not just to salvage the business, but to get through it stronger. I, I you know, in that moment, our, we had a debt term sheet pulled. Our runway dropped to, you know, slow single digits. We had yet to fully transition to management agreements, so we had to renegotiate quite a few contracts. But at the core of our business is trust with our partners. So we had to do that in a way that ensured we built trust rather than destroyed trust. It was really hard times. I sort of think hard times built hardened companies and our team feels really battle-tested as a result. But that was a moment when all trends went out the window. What we're seeing today is kind of an overarching secular trend and a more recovery from COVID underpinning as well. The secular trend is a trend that we've seen for the last 15 years and maybe has accelerated a bit because of COVID. And that's the trend for flexibility, seeking and digital enablement. So people have increased their desire for a flexible life in the last decade uh, quite profoundly. And I think you know the COVID obviously accelerated it. There's maybe a little bit of a retrenchment, but fundamentally, we've kind of like moved up on the graph of how many people work a little bit remotely, take an extra day on their weekend trip and experience a city for longer, spend weeks on the road. That, you know, it always starts off as a trickle, any trend then grows. And we're seeing that continue to grow as a secular trend, which is a fuel behind the need for what we're delivering at Casa. And similarly, people have an interest in using their mobile device to control their stay, to have hospitality experience that's increasingly personalized and familiar. And so those are trends that have persisted and perhaps accelerated. But then there's just a complete shellacking that COVID did to anything that like any hospitality mm-hmm. trend line. And some of those, you know, business travel was down, leisure travel was the international travel was down, where are just group travel was, was down and recovering quickly. This is the year where we kind of saw All of those come back to prior, perhaps not peak or full trend, but pretty close to it. And so I think we're kind of back to normal, normalcy in the hospitality world in terms of kind of like the traditional segmentation of business group, international business transient, leisure, et cetera. And then there's kind of overarching secular trend of flexibility and digital enablement has continued to grow. Perhaps it has accelerated, which is exciting. One last thing, and ma- less consumer-related, but supply and hospitality has not been quick to react because first you had COVID, for, for it, which made it really difficult to build hotels when you weren't sure in two years, you know, there would be enough demand to satisfy the investment. And then the 10-year gapped out, which made financing really hard, difficult in the last year to 18 months. And so the supply picture looks really muted in the next few years for hospitality while demand is is sort of back, which is a nice setup for for us and others in hospitality.
0: Yeah. So how do you think about the, you know, I don't know if it's a headwind, but the regulatory kind of risk of of what you're doing. I mean, I know that there's a lot of headlines around short-term rentals across the country, even Build to Rent and SFR is, you know, getting its fair share of headlines. You and I probably agree, most of them are unfounded, but they're there regardless. And so how does that how does that impact Casa's business? Or are you operating in a kind of a different paradigm where it's not directly impacting what you do and, and your kind of access to supply?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think about this first from are we doing something that's helping the world or you know, or hurting the world? And obviously there's a dire need for housing in the United States. And there's a dire need for various types of housing, too. There's an you know, housing needs to match the way people live. And as people demand furnished rentals and demand flexibility, there should be housing options to match. And then generally, there should be more housing supply, given the U.S. is quite significantly understocked for housing. What we've seen, the narrative obviously is, you know, you take a unit of housing from unfurnished and then... You furnish it and rent it out. It's still a unit of housing, but it's used for a different use and you take away from the traditional 12 month unfurnished housing supply. What we've actually seen is in many cases, there are developments that have you know shovels on the sidelines because the owner can't capitalize, you know can't raise debt or and/or equity uh, given the current interest rate environment, given how much supply is coming online and in certain select markets. And incorporating flexible furnished rentals into that business plan often gives those developers the juice that they need in order to, you know, to, to get a marginal deal or even like less than marginal deal over the hump. And so it you take 20, 30 percent of that building and operate in a type of housing that the world needs. Then you build us, you know, maybe it's a three hundred unit building that wouldn't have been built. Sixty of those units are furnished. Flexible rental units, 240 are units that wouldn't have existed. And so it's a real multiplier effect that exists where you take a small percentage to create a larger amount of inventory. That's kind of like more of a policy part of that question. The, the, your question around how it affects us, we need to operate within the rules of hoteling and short term rentals in any given jurisdiction. So our properties and our partner properties will go through the right licensing to be a hotel within any city, which means that not every building will work because some buildings are zoned for commercial and hotel use and are built to that standard and other buildings are not. And we have the team that can provide owners with that insight. They can also use local land use council. We can also help owners to adjust their building appropriately to ensure that it can be future proofed to enabling this use down the line as it continues to grow. And because there's a restriction on which buildings can and can't work in the model, it creates a competitive advantage to the buildings that figure out how to operate and be licensable as a hotel, because down the line they will have more resilient cash flow. Right, One building can't and didn't do the work up front in a development or maybe post delivery. And so, when multifamily fundamentals drop, their cash flows do as well. And another did, and so they're able to program in flexible rentals and put a floor on the NOI of their property. As a result, interesting. And so, just to clarify, and I think you may have said it, but but just so I'm
0: crystal clear, are your properties operating then both as kind of multifamily assets and hospitality assets, or is the preference to convert everything to a hospitality use case? I mean, how how do you think about this? Because, I mean, we're talking about short-term rentals. I associate that with with multifamily, but then we're talking about hospitality as a kind of more durable form of sustaining this type of operating model.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. So we operate in two physical form factors, apartment building in which we take a floor or multiple floors or the entire building. But the physical form factor in that case, it you know, refers to the fact that the units have kitchens and living rooms and multiple bedrooms. We operate all units that are casas as furnished any length of stay rental. So we allow people to stay for a few months, but on average, people stay for a week or so in those properties. And then we have a physical hotel property that has no, you know, f- we operate the entire building and ha- the units have no kitchens and living rooms. We operate them in a very similar way, but it's obviously a different physical experience for for the guest. And on our site and across channels, we merchandise them to be very clear what you're getting as the as the guest.
0: Perfect. So, I mean, I think what's interesting, and we were in New York last week at, a, at an event together where we were talking about this idea of like operating company and property company or opco and propco. And, you know, what I've observed is exactly what you've explained, which is a lot of asset owner, especially in this higher interest rate environment, tougher market conditions are looking for ways to kind of generate alpha, like, you know, alpha for their, for their properties. And a lot of times it's applying a different use case or a different kind of technology enabled approach. Where do you fit into this kind of Opco, Propco model and, and kind of how has that impacted your business as there's more dollars focused on this Opco, Propco model to, to create a, a kind of a bigger ecosystem?
1: Yeah. So we we are huge believers that aligning yourself with capital that deeply understands the operating business and the value that... Uh, with real estate capital that really understands the operating business and the value that operating business can generate for the real estate aligns incentives and allows both parties to win in a more substantial way. So the real estate investor might get upside in the operating business and because they deeply understand the operation, have a, a distinct advantage in sourcing and managing their investments. And for the operating business, abstracting away from Costa, an operating business that whose fundamental value is to improve the PL of assets, that business can better select properties and better program those properties to really fit the mold that allows them to deliver on their values, so it's kind of a, a finding that right match aligns interests and delivers better outcomes. We have built and are really proud of a, a really sophisticated real estate team that has walked a mile in the shoes of many of our our partners and and that team while 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 is small and so can't that's new to your previous question can't you know underwrite and source every deal will will is focused on a select set of strategies that we think in this moment in time can deliver asymmetric returns to the real estate investor and do so in the places where we create the most value based on the data that we have across our portfolio and when i say asymmetric returns i think that's like the holy grail of real estate investing it's very hard to find or any investing really but when you find it, it really is, in, is, is magical. And for Casa, that means if you have a business plan in which Casa is kind of part of the secret sauce, your worst case scenario is everyone else's base case, right? If it doesn't work with Casa in a hotel, you run the hotel the traditional way. If it doesn't work with Casa in an apartment building because we're not generating the income that you expect... You convert the building back to traditional multifamily. Worst case is the NOI you would have gotten otherwise. But your base case is instead of a five and a half yield on cost, you know, closing in on a ten percent yield on cost and a an higher cash on cash return. Your base case is significantly higher. And my general view is when co- the you know cost structures are are, are increasing and when there's been a proliferation of capital on the equity side in the real estate world, there's going to be a survival of the fittest, right? Investors who don't have true differentiation in how they source and manage the properties, I think won't be as... We'll, we'll look back and their returns won't be as strong as ones that have a real edge. Uh, and that edge could be how they lower costs, how they source properties how they program their properties to meet consumers where they are. And that's what a partnership where there's an operating business that can show that, prove it over case studies, over market, and partner with capital that then can, like, in a sniper way, deploy the capital to the opportunities that are the best from a risk-adjusted perspective returns. That, that's where I think there's going to be magical pairings. But I think that there will be few pairings that work really well. So the investor on both and the operator on both sides needs to be quite careful in, in selecting the right partner and, and, and structuring it to align interests makes total sense and, and quite innovative, too. I think,
0: Leo, we're going to see a lot more firms looking to find groups like us to partner with in order to drive this asymmetric return. So we only have a few minutes left. You know, let, Let's talk about kind of what you're most excited about going forward. We've emerged from the darkest days of COVID, as you've said, and obviously we're still operating in a pretty tough market environment with interest rates high. We've got a, a challenged global macro situation which we don't need to, to go into right now. But if you kind of look into your crystal ball and look out over the next you know, six to 12 months throughout kind of calendar year 2024, what do you kind of what do you anticipate might change? What are you most excited about? What are you looking forward to most for, for your business?
1: Yeah, so, so the, the setup I think is we were in a market downturn in real estate. Sam Zell said it really well when I was an undergrad at Penn, his cash is king. That's kind of the trope. We had very good fundamentals going into this kind of crazy capital environment. And so raised our largest round of equity financing to ensure we had the largest balance sheet that we've ever had as an operating business. And we're able to control our own destiny in terms of how we deploy that capital and operate. So coming into this with a position of strength is, is exciting. And we know that we're in, in a unique position relative to others. Our goal forever, you will ask me this question in 18 years and five years and 10 years, is to make our real estate partners more money in their investment. And often that's by delivering a better experience to the guests that we serve. It's by optimizing ever further the cost structure of the properties. And so we're continuously investing in our systems to do so. One of the things that is perhaps the flavor of the week, but I think we all realize it's Different for this technology than it was maybe for NFTs and crypto is AI, right? It, we're very excited in the applications of GPTs, and we're using specifically OpenAI's model. But you can have you know any LLM interact with whatever you're building. For CASA, the application is extremely direct and specific to our value proposition. So we're already using GPT-4 to help answer our guest questions more quickly, more accurately. And right now it's both a co-pilot and direct. So if you text CASA, some of your questions will be coming directly from GPT-4, some will be coming from our team that is informed by GPT-4, some will be manual responses. What that does is makes the experience for the guests faster and better because the answers come faster and they're more accurate. And for the owner, it lowers the cost structure. It's a much more efficient deployment of our resources. That's kind of like, base level usage of AI. What we are in parallel doing is using it to inform how we personalize a stay for a guest. So last time, Brandon, you stayed with us, you might've asked for extra pillows or the nearest coffee shop near a casa. Next time we note down, we, you know, G- GPT-4 will look at your history of communication, and say, Brandon likes extra pillows and a local, you know, a coffee shop. We might, before your stay, put in pillows additional pillows into the into the unit and text you the day of and recommend a coffee shop. It's kind of that like magical experience that, that we already were doing as part of our model, but AI makes us do it better and faster and more reliably. And that's quarter our value proposition. So we'll always deliver more profit to our owners as part of our goal. And AI is one of the mechanisms that's accelerating that. And then, you know, looking further out I'm excited to have real estate that's just fully flexible. I think apartment buildings need to be even more flexible than we make them flexing up and down, how much is furnished, how much is unfurnished, allowing residents to host and have Casa be the co-host of those stays and really building a membership experience across the country and world where you can feel like you're part of a, and this is maybe you know a lot longer out, but I think is is a real need for a feeling of belonging, community, across city to enable true flexibility and so that's maybe the the long term and then lastly in the in the very in 6 to 12 months there's one or two very interesting real estate propco opportunities that our our team has been spending a lot of time on and I have been alongside them and they feel more more relevant today than at any point in the history of casa given our value proposition strength our data and then where where real estate prices are so those, those are a couple of things we're excited about.
0: Awesome. Well, if people want to learn more about Casa, they want to get in touch with you, they want to see how one of their properties might pencil or qualify for working with Casa. What's the
1: best way for them to learn more to reach out to you? Reach out to me at roman at It's k a s a.com or on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm usually a fairly fast response.
0: Awesome. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation today, Roman. Congrats on everything that you've built so far at Koss. And I look forward to continuing to follow the journey. It's great to reconnect with you and appreciate you sharing the story with us today.
1: Likewise, we're at day zero and always will be. And I, it's been exciting to watch Juniper Square grow and deliver value to your clients. So very much appreciate your having me on.
0: Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Distribution by Juniper Square. If you liked today's podcast, please share it with a colleague or a friend. And don't forget to subscribe and rate the distribution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with me on LinkedIn by going to www.linkedin.com forward slash I N forward slash B Sedloff. Or you can find me on Twitter at B Sedloff. You can also find a video recording of this conversation on demand at junipersquare.com forward slash the dash distribution. Until next time.